Grab your Bibles. Told you it was all going to be about God's Word this morning. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Grab your Bibles. Open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in our text this morning. Verse 17. If you do not have a Bible with you, there should be a white paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. Grab that. Uh, Mark it up. Take it home. It's our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Fall in love with Jesus in those scriptures, okay? Awesome. When you get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, look up at me and say, His mercy is more. His mercy is more. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and what do you guys say? Amen. All right, have your eyes on Scripture. Follow along with me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So, I'm Stephanie. And God's word, well, first of all, I never really viewed it as God's Word. It was just the Bible. It was something like a reference book. It was important, and I knew that it was important growing up in church and all that, but it wasn't essential to my relationship with Jesus. I thought it was more like a history book, an encyclopedia. I could just pull it off the shelf, flip to the back, find a topic, find the verse, and mold it to my situation. And that was me making my relationship with Jesus about me. We started coming to Westside, I guess, like a year and a half ago. And um, my view really started to change then. Um, We went through uh, Nehemiah. And I'm not sure if Jason used this verse in that series, but I think he did. And it was um, John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And it was, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that to me, in my brain, means that God's Word is alive. It's active. It's living. It's being. It's it's doing something. It's not just a book full of words, you know, that you can put on a shelf and just forget about. Went through after going through Nehemiah, my husband actually finally surrendered to Jesus, and he got baptized here at Westside. And to me, that was proof that God's word was alive and it was active. It was it was changing hearts, and I could see that. And um, we then went through Revelation, the seven churches. And I think it's the first chapter, the first couple verses of John's description of Jesus. And it blew me away. It really did. It, it made me see Jesus in a whole new light. He wasn't my homeboy anymore. He was my king, you know. And having the proof of God's Word being active and my corrected view of Jesus, it, reading the Bible became a lot different. You know, it really changed how I was reading the scriptures. Um, I, I I took it literally. Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said. And um, it was my way of becoming a productive member of Christ's body. Because I think that's the ultimate goal of us being one in Christ as a people. And um, we had a women's conference here a while back and Kayla talked and about Psalm 119, I think it's verse 11, 
and it says, I've stored your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And that to me has been a tool to that if I'm going to live the way Christ wants me to live, then I have, I have to be in his word and I have to read it the right way. And it's really been a life-changing experience. And what we're looking at today is we are in a sermon series entitled Jesus Uncensored. And what we're looking at is Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're letting Jesus speak frankly um, to the issues. And oftentimes we hear people say, I don't know if Jesus really said or Jesus wasn't really clear. And today we are looking at Jesus' view of the Scriptures. And um, as you saw from Stephanie, who's a church member here, we have a high view of God's Word here at Westside. And really what we're going to do today is I'm going to approach this a little bit differently. Um, in the past, we've, we've walked through what's known as apologetics, where I've looked at archaeology, I've looked at science, I've looked at based facts, um, and argued for the truth of God's Word. And I'm going to stick to the theme of the sermon series, which is I'm going to let Jesus speak today. And the question that we are faced with is, what is Jesus' view of the Scriptures? And can somebody be a follower of Christ and have a different view of the Bible than what Jesus had? Um, I know no more controversial topic really in our culture than the Bible. And it always seems to be a controversial topic. And it was even controversial for one of my heroes, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And in the 19th century, in 1988, he was getting a lot of flack for actually teaching and believing the scriptures. He was one of the first megachurch pastors. And in January 22nd of 1888, he said in a sermon entitled, The Lover of God's Law Filled with Peace, about how to defend the scriptures. And he said these words, How do I defend the Bible? The same way that I would defend a lion. I simply open up the cage and let him out. I like that view. And what I'm going to do today is just open up the cage. And I'm going to let the Son of God, through the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, do just that. And what we're looking at is what was Jesus' view of the Scriptures. This is a big deal for us to understand because everything sort of hinges on this idea of how we view God and how He has been revealed Um, Oftentimes people say in culture, I think God is like blank. And what they don't know is they've just declared themselves a theologian, if you will. Because the word theology, ology is the study of, and theos is the Greek for God. And you have just declared yourself a student of God whenever you say that. But where do we get our theology from? And so we will ask Jesus today with this governing question, what did Jesus believe about the scriptures? Well, the first thing that I believe, and I'm just going to walk verse by verse and just break this thing down like Legos today, okay? So have your Bibles in your hand. In verse 17, what I believe the first thing that Jesus says is, Jesus believed that the Bible points to him. Jesus believed that the Bible points to him. Look at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Circle in your neighbor's Bible the law and the prophets. Very important. Just, let's just do that for them. I have not come to abolish. There he uses the word twice. Jesus must be telling us something. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I love Jesus uh, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons why is because I believe that he was the greatest communicator that ever lived. 
And what he is doing is a form of rhetoric, if you will. He is anticipating his audience's argument before they ask the question and knocking that argument down. Because in the context, he has just taught about the Beatitudes. Remember that? Congratulations, you've made the team. Congratulations to the failures, to the broken people, to the poor in spirit, to the contrite. You have made God's team, not based upon what you have done, but what I have done. And then my plan to change the world is for you to go out and to be salt and to be light. His audience must have been thinking, this man has lost his mind. And this man is challenging Moses and the prophets. And he is veering from what God's law is, right? Because Moses, I mean, how much bigger does it get than Charlton Heston in the Old Testament, right? Remember that guy, right? But what's fundamental to understand and what people always say is Jesus pit himself against Moses. And he's abolishing what Moses taught. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says the law, which is what with Torah is the Hebrew word, which would have been the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But Jesus also says the prophets. That's very important to understand. Jesus is saying that the entire Old Testament points to him. And the key word is the word fulfill. That's a very big word to understand. And the word fulfill means, in the original language, just what you would think it would mean. To bring fuller meaning to. To bring a fuller account of. And as I was studying this week, I came across an illustration from a New Testament scholar by the name of Warren Wearsby. And he said, there's two ways, like imagine an acorn. Imagine an acorn, and there's two ways that you can abolish that acorn. You can take a hammer, and you can smash it, and you can do away with that acorn. Or you can plant that acorn and it will be abolished and it will never be the same. But what will it do? It will grow into a fuller meaning of the intention that it was. What Jesus is saying first and foremost, and this is fundamental for us to believe as Christians, is that the Bible is not about you. The Bible's about Christ We don't come to the scriptures first and foremost going, man, I wonder how I can make myself feel better today. We come to the scriptures first and foremost with the idea and the prayer of God, show me your beauty in the person of Christ, rather in the Old Testament or the New, that we have a certain lens in the way in which we read the scriptures. John Calvin, the father of the Protestant Reformation, put it so eloquently when he wrote a preface to one of his students' New Testament commentaries. And he said these words, He, Christ, is Isaac, the beloved son of the Father, who was offered as a sacrifice, but nevertheless did not succumb to the power of death. He is Jacob, the watchful shepherd, who has such great care for the sheep which he guards. He is the good and compassionate brother Joseph, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, however lowly and abject their condition. He is the great sacrificer and bishop, Mount Kizedek, who has offered an eternal sacrifice once and for all. And he is the sovereign lawgiver, Moses, writing his law on the tablet of our hearts by his spirit. And he is the 
faithful captain and guide, Joshua, to lead us into the promised land. And he is the victorious and noble King David, bringing by his hand all the rebellious power to subjection. He is the magnificent, triumphant King Solomon, governing his kingdom in peace and prosperity. And he is the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death has overwhelmed his enemies. This, this is what we should in short seek in the whole of scripture, truly to know Jesus Christ and the infinite riches that are comprised in and offered to us by him from God the Father. If one were to sift thoroughly through the law and the prophets, he would not find a single word which would not draw us and bring us to him. Therefore, rightly does St. Paul say in another passage that he would know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That is good news today. Amen. Amen. That's the way that we read the scriptures, which means this, that Jesus Christ is the living word of God. That Jesus Christ is literally in this profound mystery, the word of God incarnate. That when he walked the face of the earth, he was the very words of God in the flesh. So what's the application? What's such a big deal? Why do we make such a big deal that the Bible points to Jesus? It means this, that you can't make the Bible about your pet topic that you're interested in. The Bible's not about a political affiliation. The Bible's not about supernatural gifts and speaking in tongues primarily. The Bible's not about a prophecy because the moon and a hurricane happened and all this type of stuff. Primarily when we read the scriptures, it's about God's redemptive plan and story in the person of Christ. Listen, if you study the scriptures so you can beat people over the head with them, then you are not reading the Bible. But we read the Bible asking and begging God to show us the glory of Christ. So when we read the Old Testament and in your Bible reading plan, when you start out the new year and you do well, and then you get to Leviticus and don't pick it back up again, right? Because it's the bloodiest book in the Bible. And we see all of these sacrifices. What does that mean? They're pointing forward to the person of Christ who would fulfill and bring a greater meaning to that. The Bible points to Jesus. That's why we have a very high view of God's word here at Westside. When you're singing the song, there's scriptures underneath that. We give attention to the reading of God, and at the end of it, we say, this is the word of God. And we say, thanks be to God, because our God is not silent, but he has spoken to us through his very words. And always, no matter what message, no matter what scripture, no matter what we do, we take communion every week, because the word of God points us to the Son of God. Jesus believed that the Bible was about him. And most scholars believe that these words are what got Jesus killed. Because it is so controversial for the God-man to stand up and say, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he said that he saw the Lord high and lifted up in a temple, and Isaiah saw a vision of heaven, Isaiah wrote that because Isaiah saw me. They couldn't handle it. First and foremost, Jesus believed that the Bible was about him. Secondly, verse 18, Jesus believed that the Bible is true. Look at verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. We're going to break this down like Legos. Here's three reasons why Jesus believed that the Bible is true. First and foremost, Jesus believed that the Bible was true because the Bible is inspired inspired by God. 
Jesus says that in verse 18. For truly I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law. So what's he saying? Heaven and earth depend upon nature. But God's law and God's word is super nature. That it is literally supernatural. Because it is inspired by the God who created the world. And it's so interesting in Genesis chapter 1, one of the first things that we have in seeing the activity of God is God is speaking. God is speaking. And, and so where are all my kind of kids who grew up Baptist, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out theonumos by God. The very same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and then theonumos, the breath of life in him. Now, what does th- this does not mean what some people say, divine dictation, like that the Bible just dropped, boom, right out of the sky, and we don't have any context. We don't have anything about that, right? Or that when the guys were writing the books of the Bible, that they were like, right? No personality, no nothing like that. No, we don't believe that. We believe that God inspired real men and real women in real places, with real context, with real words. That's why we encounter the personality of the authors, Right? Peter even says, man, yo, have you even tried to read Paul's letters? Yo, those are hard to understand, bro, right? I don't know if he says bro. That might be in the original language. I'm not sure or not, right? But we encounter, right? We encounter the personality of the author. Oh, but here is what great scholars of products of the Enlightenment say. Oh, Jason, this is a new doctrine. This is new. The authors of the Bible did not know that they were writing the very words of God. Well, I would challenge that. And one of the things where we see this so clearly is in Peter's sermon in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, he quotes David in the Psalms. And look at how he says that David spoke. Who through the mouth of our father David, so David's speaking, yes? Okay. Through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, by the Holy Spirit. So who's speaking? David? Yes. I thought the Holy Spirit was speaking. And the answer is yes. Do you see how this works now? That God inspired writers under his authority to write the scriptures. Jesus believed that. But secondly, Jesus believed the Bible was true because, listen, all the words of the Bible are inspired. All the words. See, here's always the argument. Well, I love the concepts, right? I love the concepts of the Bible. And people are always like, do not judge. Psh, I love that one, man, right? Or potheads always remember, every seed-bearing plant that God made shall be good, right? They're like, I love that, man. That's good stuff, man, right? But the whole repent, turn to Christ, worship Jesus as God. I don't know. I mean, did they really say that? Well, look at what Jesus said. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but look at these words. Not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law. If you're reading out of the King Jimmy, as I like to call it, it says a jot or a tittle. I like the word tittle. For, I don't know. I just like that. What Jesus is using is a play on words. Iota, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Yoda, right? Not the Star Wars guy, right? But then the iota, like, like imagine if you're making a C and you're going to make the letter G out of that, that little line that separates the C from the G. Jesus is saying that in and of itself is inspired, that the words of God are inspired. See, what I'm teaching you, and you don't know this, guys pay tens of thousands of dollars for seminary education, is verbal plenary inspiration. And people always say, well, that's a new doctrine. The apostles and nobody really back then in Jesus' day really believed that. Here's a picture of one of my heroes, Karl Barth. 
One of his good uh, friends was Emil Brumner, and that, he's standing together. Bart's there on the right, Emil Brumner's on the left. Carl believed in verbal plenary inspiration. Emil Brumner did not. But one of the things that Emil Brumner said was these words, the doctrine of verbal inspiration was already known to pre-Christian Judaism and was probably also taken over by Paul and the rest of the apostles. This is not new. This has been known. But one of the things that people say is, well, God may have inspired the Bible, but a bunch of white dudes put it together, like in a room, right? So we don't know. I saw that movie with Tom Hanks. I'm a real big theologian, right, about books of the Bible left out. You're talking about the canonization of Scripture. The problem with that argument is, is Jesus is teaching about an Old Testament, and the Old Testament had gone through a canonization process, and Jesus trusted that process. So again, the governing question is, what was Jesus' view of the Scriptures? Jesus believed that they were inspired. Jesus believed that all the words were inspired. And then lastly this, this is great. Jesus believed the Bible was true because the Bible is authoritative. That's like a dirty word in 2017, right? Authority, right? Look at what he says. Will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That there is something that supersedes everything else and it is the very word of God. What I love about when Jesus speaks and he speaks about the words that he even speaks, he always talks about not speaking upon his own authority. And the New Testament apostles always say the same thing, but Jesus said this in the book of John, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What's the, what's the commandment, Jesus? What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Here is what we cannot do with the Scriptures. Oftentimes in 2017, we think of ourselves as being so enlightened and so smart that we need to be God's editors more than God's messengers. And there are two ways to view God's Word. The first one is like this. And for you to stand over it. And to go, I know that God said this, but I'm not so sure in the context that that's really true because they didn't know then. And we rip stuff out and we go, yeah, I don't know if that's really true. And we have all of these profound insights because we live in 2017 and I have a smartphone. Right? Right? And you know what's so profound for us to think about ourselves that way? Like, here's what's going to happen to you, okay? Here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to die. Welcome to Westside. Glad you're here today, right? First time at church. We're real motivational this morning. You're going to die. We're going to go to your funeral. People are going to walk by you and go, oh, they didn't do a good job on her. She doesn't even look like that in real life, right? They're going to say that, walk by. Then, am I lying? Right? We're going to go to the graveside. We're going to put dirt on the box that you're in. Then we're going to go to the fellowship hall and eat potato salad. And life will go on. And so will God's word. And how dare us think that in 2017, C.S. Lewis called this chronological snobbery, that we look back upon history down on our nose. There is only one way to view God's word. You got your Bible in your hand? Get your Bible in your hand and lift it up like this. Lift it over your head. Even if you've got a fake Bible on a phone, I'll let that slide, right? Get your Bible up and hold it up. Hold it up high above your head. This is the way that we view God's word. 
This is the way that God, God's word dictates our life. It is above us. It is not below us. Everything here at this church comes with a chapter and verse. Everything that we believe about God comes from here. We do not rule over God's word, but God's word rules over us. You can put your Bible down. Thanks for being in the sermon today. I appreciate that. And what's one way you say, Jason, but how do I know? How do I know that God's word is authoritative over my life? I'll let an early church father by the name of St. Augustine say this. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe but yourself. Put that in your coffee in the morning. Smoke that, right? <laughs> See, man, like in 2017, we just we turned the Bible into like a magic eight ball in a fortune cookie like Jeremiah 29 and 11. Ooh, that gave me the chills this morning. I love that. That's good, right? But the whole repent, confess sin, live in community, love God's son and worship him. The way that I handle money, oh gosh, I don't know about any of that type of stuff. Well, at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're picking and choosing and you're editing God's word. You are not allowing God's word to have full access to your life. And my generation of the hipster generation is one of the worst for this, right? I heard somebody describe the hipster generation as people who try to dress like their grandfather but do not have their grandfather's work ethic, right? It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. I'll say it about us, right? It's no big deal. But man, love. Be wary. Be wary of someone who is constantly saying God is nothing but love and does not talk about God's justice, God's holiness, because in the cross of Christ, we see how God feels about sin because he killed his own son. And at that same cross, I see God's love and God's mercy and God's grace pulled out upon my life. We do not hold an attribute of God higher than the other. And what keeps us governing this is God's word. This is what Jesus believed about God's word, that it is true and that he's revealed himself to us in this. And then lastly, what I love, what people always say is, well, you're talking about the Old Testament. What about the New Testament, Jason? What about that new? I got a verse for that. I'm glad. John chapter 14 says this. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. They did not speak upon their own authority, but they spoke the very words of Jesus that were inspired by them through the Holy Spirit of God. And you can trace the Sermon on the Mount all through the rest of the New Testament, through the Pauline epistles, through the Jahani Gospels, right? You can see all of this because they did not speak upon their own authority. They were inspired as well. And what was the last thing that Jesus believed about the Scriptures? Jesus believed that the scriptures can change your life. Look at verse 19. Therefore, very important word. If you don't have that in your Bible, get a new Bible because the points and the words come from the text. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness, we've learned about this word, your right standing with God exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. John Stott says in verse 20 that there would have been an audible gasp when Jesus said that. The scribes and the Pharisees? 
I mean, these guys were like Paul Blart the mall cop. I mean, they obeyed the rules, man. You know what I'm saying? These guys dressed a certain way. They prayed out loud. I mean, these guys seemed to be holy, holy, holy. But Jesus must be speaking of a different righteousness. Not of one that's external, but one that's internal. You see, Jesus challenges everybody in this text. Jesus challenges people who have a low view of Scripture. And then Jesus challenged those people who sort of maybe grew up with the fundamentalist attitude that the more I do and the more boxes that I check off, the more God must love me. And that is as much of an addiction as it is anything else. And Jesus is saying there's only one way to get the right standing with God is when you read these scriptures properly, you will see that you need something from outside of you to save you. This is what's meant. And he says that the Bible, listen, this is profound. The Bible is to be believed and obeyed. Not just an ethereal concept that I believe that this is God's word and I believe that this word is over me, but this is also something that I obey. And listen, can I just say something to you? Sometimes God's word is hard to understand, correct? But just because it's hard to understand doesn't mean that it's not true. And oftentimes I found the answers to my questions about God's word only happens when I step out in an act of obedience and faith. And that understanding is just on the other side of faith. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes things won't make sense in your life until you apply it and obey. But Jesus is saying we must look at the motives as to why we obey. Why? Why are you obeying? Why are you reading the Bible? Jesus tells the scribes and the Pharisees in, in, in one uh, part of Matthew's gospel, you read the Bible and you memorize it and you think in the scriptures you find life. But the scriptures point and testify to me that we search the word of God because it points us to the son of God. What's the big idea today? What do I want to leave you with? And it's this, Jesus loved and lived the scriptures and so should we. How crazy would it be to declare ourselves disciples of the Christ and know what his view is, but not live it and have the same view? There's no way that you could say that. And listen, today is not about guilt because I believe guilt is a poor motivator when it comes to reading the scriptures. Today is about understanding grace and understanding that our God is not silent, but when your Bible is open, so is God's mouth. And for you to say, I just don't hear from God and your Bible is on a shelf collecting dust in your house is the same way of saying that I'm not receiving phone calls on my cell phone and your phone's turned off. This is the way that God speaks to us. It is through his word. So as the band comes up, I want to lead us in a particular response today. You have an insert in your bulletin. I want you to stand right where you're at before we come and partake in communion. This is a prayer from Psalm 119. Stand right where you're at. I want us to read this prayer out loud and let this prayer be our prayer for today. Psalm 119, read these words out loud with me. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Incline my ear to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared and turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. 
Behold, I long for your precepts and in your righteousness, give me life. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and God, we pray that your word would be high and lifted up because that when the word of God is lifted up, we will glorify the son of God and we will see that your mercies are new. God, how else can we live in this life day to day without your promises? And how will I know that you're faithful to your promises in the future unless I know that you've been faithful to them in the past? As Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, every word of God is proved true and is a refuge for those who take comfort in them. Yes, God, we take refuge in your word, refuge. And in Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, we pray that that word would have its way with us today is living. Let it search us. Let it comfort us where we need comforting and let it convict us where we need convicting and let it lead us to the table where we see the elements and the living word. The body broken and the blood shed. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this in the mighty, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.